Well, anybody ready to get in God's Word? I am a full gospel preacher this week. Had two weeks off. I'm sitting there getting filled up, okay? So uh, I want to share with you, uh, really, we're going to continue in this series called Waiting on the Lord. And this is uh, about the eighth installment. Pastor Corey uh, really hit well. The keys of revival is what are the things that we institute in our life when we have a good and noble heart and we see uh, God really begin to do something in our church and in our lives personally. It's an incredible word just a couple of weeks ago. And today... I want to give you a transitional word because of where I believe God is taking us as a church. And uh, I want to show you something from Luke 8. We're going, to, we're going to look at it carefully. But I'm also going to get very personal. Uh, look at your neighbor, neighbor and said he might talk to you today. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, you've been wanting to tell him that anyway. That's why you brought him to church. You laid out their clothes. You got them already. <laughs> All right. Um, Now, we are in a season here. If you're new to Calvary, you need to know that God began to speak to us about the season that we're in. You may be here uh, as a result of somebody inviting you recently, and you're like, man, I love this place. I love what God is doing. Well, we knew in advance that you were coming because God spoke to us and said, hey, by the way, in this season, you're about to see rapid growth. You are about to see me do something that is going to astound you. You're going to be amazed that out of the ashes of what our nation and region has gone through that there is going to come a sudden a breaking in of the kingdom. Many people will surrender their life to Christ. Many people will begin to walk with God in a real way that affects their families, that affects their lives. They experience Jesus. And just a couple of weeks ago in prayer, because God spoke that word to me way back in, in 2020, about 2021, a couple of weeks ago, God said, this begins now. And during this time, you focus on the seed, the soil, the soaking, and the sun. And we've been doing that. We've been focusing on the seed of God's word. We've been focusing on the soil of our hearts. And we're about to enter into a time of soaking in God's presence. And here's what the Lord told me. He says, in order to properly enter into a time corporately where you soak in God's presence, I have to show you another principle from Luke 8. I have to show you something that might prevent someone from entering into the the theme verse that we've been talking about for weeks and weeks, which is Isaiah 40. But those, this is how it begins, but those who wait on the Lord. Is there anybody in here that loves to wait? Like, I love living in a rural community. However... The idea that Amazon has drones in cities that I could push, order, and they fly my order over the same day, man, it just, man, it touches me in a special place. I mean, does, doesn't everybody, I mean, when, you, when you're shopping, you're not looking for the longest lines, like, oh, I can't wait to wait. It's this speed, this, this sped up culture that we in that we're in. And so here we have this verse that says, hey, by the way, all of these benefits come from waiting on the Lord, and we have a whole culture of people who don't want to wait. And we think, we're good. I'm good. I'm impatient. <laughs> 
but I'm good. And so I want to show you something that actually God, God highlighted to me from Luke 8. That actually says, you know what? It's going to position you to be able to wait. It's going to position you to love to be in God's presence. Uh, years ago, uh, you know, I, I've, I've had the, just the Lord change my life uh, in, in revival, powerful meetings. Um, and, um, you know, I begin to hear about this prayer movement in Kansas City where they have been praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Since, by the way, still going on since 1999. It's pretty incredible, right? Yeah, yeah. That's just like three of you said amen. You know why? Because the rest of you, you're like, what in the world? Because if if I closed the Bible and said, listen, here's your assignment. We'll see if you obey. Go right now. Spend two hours in God's presence. And I want you to pray the entire time. Uh, About 90% of you would come back in this room six minutes later and say, I'm done. I got nothing. What do I do? How do I do this? What do you mean? Wait on the Lord. What do you mean? Long to be in his presence. What do you mean that I am called to a season of soaking? For some of us, we're like, no, I'm going to go do something. Uh, John Wesley said, I'm so busy that I can't help but pray three hours a day. Yikes. Could it be that God is saying, listen, I want to take you into a season where you love and long for my presence like never before because it's going to take you into the fullness of my purpose for your life. But there are some things that prevent us, and we're going to see it exposed here from Luke chapter 8. Now, I'm not going to read the parable of the sower. I'm going to read the explanation beyond the parable. So Luke chapter 8, let's read it together. Luke chapter 8, verses 9 through 21. All the notes are in the Bible app if you want them there. I'm, going to, I'm just going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. By the way, if in the next few moments I land on some things that feel very personal to you, it's I am not preaching to you. I'm declaring what God has revealed to me in the secret place. Listen, um, here's something that most of you know about me. If you're new to Calvary, maybe you've been to a few churches that do this. I don't get sermons from sermon.com. I can't operate that way. I would be terrified. I go to the secret place and I say, God, what are you saying? And then I try my best to articulate it in a way that is going to help us as a church. So here's Here's what I want to highlight to you, something we've been reading for weeks and weeks that you're probably going to see in a new light. Luke 8, verses 9 is where we'll begin. Then his disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean, the parable of the sower? And he says this, to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it's given in parables. Let me stop right there. Don't ever say God doesn't want you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Every disciple of Christ is to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. If you say to me the Bible's a closed book, I say let's start at the beginning, let's get born again. Because when the Holy Spirit moves in, he wants to open God's word to you. He wants you to understand. It says, to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest is given in parables. Seeing that they may not see, notice these words, and hearing 
They may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, the, the, uh, receive the word with joy, but that because they have no root, who believe for a while and in a time of t- temptation fall away. Now, the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they heard, go out and are choked, Uh, with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Now, in your Bible, if you're reading from a Bible, oftentimes there will be like this uh, paragraph division. And it will say something like this. It'll say like, um, it'll say, don't put a light under a bushel or don't hide or, you know, it'll, it'll give you some kind of division as if Jesus has suddenly changed the subject. However, the gospel writer Luke is one who gives us the gospel in an orderly way. He wants us to understand a total stream of thought that actually continues that our good Bible translators many times interrupt. There is no interruption in his thought, and I'm going to show it to you here. It says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed. He's referring back to what he's already said about secrets. Nor anything hidden that will not be made known and come to light. This next word ought to give you a clue that he hasn't changed the subject. Therefore, now you need to really listen to what comes after. Therefore, take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. Now, I want to stop there because most of us, when we read this verse, we're like, oh, Jesus, this seems like you're not very equitable. You're like, why would you give more to those who already have and you take away from people who who don't have? you're, You're quantifying this the wrong way. He is saying, those who have ears to hear, those who have the light of revelation has come into their life from knowing who Christ is, from receiving God's word with a good and noble heart. He says, you're going to be the ones that know the mysteries. You're going to be set on a lampstand. People are going to see you. He says, therefore, take heed how you hear. He says, because more's coming. More is coming. For those of you who have ears to hear, God says, I want to give you more revelation. I want to give you more insight about the kingdom of God. And he says, those who don't have it, he says, even what they think they have are going to be taken away. Now, here's my take on that. Why would God take away something that people think is solid? Because he wants them to rely on what is actually solid. He says, they think they've got it, but they're wrong. And that will be removed, and they'll be left with nothing searching. 
And they'll see these who have an abundance of revelation from God. And that these lampstands, these people who have, have this, d- d- this uh, wonderful relationship with God. And it's like, wow, there it is. That's what I'm longing for. Now, so he says, now, here's another one. Usually a chapter divider. If you've got your Bible, probably got another chapter uh, uh, divider. And it usually says something like this. Jesus' mother and brother's visit. It's like another distraction. This is all at one time. Jesus isn't changing the subject. Notice what it says. It says, It says, then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told to him who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. And because he's not changing the subject, he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. In the parable of the sower, there are two major themes. One has to do with the heart. The other has to do with how you hear. How you hear. He's saying, listen, if you actually want to be those who you are, are related to Jesus, you are actually ones who hear the word of God properly and then act on it. I would say it this way. If I were to sum up the parable of the sower, it would be this. Humanity has a hearing problem that has led to a heart problem. Humanity has a hearing problem that has led to a heart problem. Number one question I receive as a pastor is this. Can you help me hear God? And I'm like, yes. Yes, because you are meant to hear God. You are designed to hear God. Luke 8, 18, it says, therefore, take heed how you hear. Listen, didn't we used to sing this song in children's church? Be careful, little ears. What you hear. Wait, that's not what that said. That did not say what you hear. In the other gospels, it does list what you hear, but not here. It doesn't say, be careful, little ears, what you hear. It says, you need to be careful how you hear. Because Jesus is exposing that every single person has a filter between their ears and their heart. Their heart is where the word of God will flourish if if the word of God doesn't get explained away. He says, if you hear the word... And it hits a filter, by the way, he, he says, and, or it hits a bad heart. It's not going to produce. It's not going to produce. Now, the filter through which we process the truth of God's word will determine its effective in our life. Now, I want to give you four filters. These are common. These are negative. You don't want these, but they're common. And I want to give these to you, and we, we, we have helped Many people in the church walk in greater levels of freedom that Jesus offers by identifying these four filters and then helping them to get free of their influence. So let me give you, let, give you these uh, four common negative filters, okay? Uh, first common negative filter that the Word of God can hit is this, lies you believe. 
Eyes you believe. That's the first filter. So someone, uh, you could be reading God's word and uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, um, you, uh, you come across lamentations that says God is good. But you had a few things that went on in life and you saw war in the world and you saw COVID-19 everywhere and you saw a Delta spike and you saw all this other kind of stuff and you were like, well, if God was good. So that word hits a filter called a lie and it doesn't produce. It is super common to believe lies about God. Probably all of us in some way embrace lies about God. You're like, do we? Sure. We say religious statements like, yeah, you know, it really doesn't require all that. We'll hear the word of God that says, I don't know, dance before the Lord. Lift holy hands before the Lord. Lay prostrate before the Lord. I'm just giving you the common, the common uh, 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 postures of worship. And here's what we say. Eh, God's not really into that because I'm not into it. Lies we believe about God. Let me give you another lie. Lies we believe about ourselves. Come on, we hit this one. Oh, I know why God loves, you know, Sister Angela. She's named after an angel, and she, she sinned once back in 1943 when she put mushrooms in the casserole. That was a sin. And, you know, but other than that, she's been perfect. I know why God loves her, but that's not me. That's not me. So we believe lies about ourselves. Does God really love me? Has he really called me? How about this one? Um, all, of the, all of you quiet, introverted people, you know, you hear not only, you know, that, that the great commission of all of the churches to go and preach the gospel, it hits a lie that says, I'm a quiet person, so I'm exempt. <laughs> and what, does, what, what happens to that word? Produces nothing. It produces nothing. What is it? It's a lie you believe. How about this? Lies you believe about change. I'm here to tell you, there's a lot of people in the church that believe lies about how much God will change a life. Because they were like, I could never see me doing what I see in the scriptures God telling me to do. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Oh, oh, wait. That's probably connected to another lie. The lie I grew up in, which is the only power God has is to give salvation. Beyond that, he doesn't do anything else. 
That's the church I went to. And if we're honest, that's the one most of us went to. We just said, no, 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 no. That part of God, he uh, can't die. He just ignores that part of who he is. Nonsense. It's a lie to believe that God would give us a command to raise the dead, cast out demons. He says, freely you've received, freely give. That this shouldn't be bouncing after, out of our lives. And yet, when we read that passage from Luke chapter 10, we're like, uh, why? The filter is clogged. Sometimes it gets clogged with theology. And we become bewitched by it. That means controlled in the mind. Rather than simply receiving it for what it says. Now. Change is possible for everybody. Everybody. And so I, I, I won't go into the fullness of that. Except to say. If there's something you can't change. I heard it, I heard it in a. Uh, great pastor say this, if there's something you cannot change in your life, it could probably be discovered in your autopsy. So if it can't be discovered in the autopsy, it can change. I bless you with that. Speak to him, Lord. Second, <laughs> let me give you another one. Let me give you another filter. It's wounds we experience. Anybody ex ever experienced some hard times? Come on. You know what? In a lot of places, they preach what Jesus says. In John 16, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Usually, that's all that's quoted. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. And they move on. I'm like, What? you got to finish the verse at least. By the way, we're all going to experience pain. We're all going to experience trauma. We're all going to experience things that we would never wish anyone else would go through. The good news is, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Do you believe that that same overcoming nature that is in Christ is in you? Then how are you dealing with the divorce? How are you dealing with the behavior, the betrayal? How are you dealing with the fact that someone in your family, you know, uh, forsook God and has been living in atheism and it broke the heart of a mother or father? How are you dealing with those traumas? Probably a lot like the man at the pool of Bethesda. Remember this guy? He is. He is lame. Jesus comes and finds him at this pool that it is said that an angel comes down and stirs the water and the first one in the water gets healed. It doesn't, by the way, say that, hey, by the way, that was a total myth. It could be that God was actually doing it this way, but this man is lame. And Jesus comes along, finds this man who has been going through this trauma of here's God moving. I'm, I'm near where God is moving, but I don't have anybody to get me in the pool when the water is stirring. Everybody beats me there. Jesus comes to him 
asks him nothing about his trauma, but simply looks at him and says, do you want to be made whole? He doesn't bring up the pool. But the man who has been living the trauma every day brings up the trauma. He brings it up and he says, hey, listen, I'm here by this pool, but I have no one. My condition is someone else's fault. I, God, I can't blame God because he's, he seems, he's so close. I see those ripples and I see God close, but I have no one. And Jesus just looks at him and says, get up. He said, I didn't come here to let you wallow in your pain and trauma. He said, I didn't bring up your brokenness because I want you to remember the trauma. I brought up your brokenness because I'm here to heal you. (laughs) Oh, but pain is a violent teacher. Pain's a violent teacher and... uh, Our first reaction when we experience pain is to be our own interpreter of that pain. If you would have just done what I told you to do. Or I experience this because I am doomed to damnation and failure my whole life. This always happens to me, by the way, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what do we do in those moments where we have these moments of trauma and maybe you experienced them within that family unit, you know, and you experienced, a, 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 you know, an, an earthly dad did something that broke you or a mom that betrayed you and somehow forgot you. You know, you, here's what we normally do when pain comes in those kinds of vulnerable situations. Here's what we say. I will never. And we make a vow that attaches ourselves permanently to the one that we said, I will never be like my dad, I will never be like my mom, until that one day, decades later, you had kids, and once they got a little bit big enough that you could no longer physically restrain them, they did something that was certainly going to lead to death in your mind, suddenly you turn to them and address them, and without without permission, you're like, your mom comes out of you. Your dad just shows up. And you're like, I said I would never. And yet, here you are. How did you get here? And then you're talking to yourself, and your kids are going... They have lost their minds. (laughs) 
You say, why does that happen? That happens because you vowed yourself to that person. Oh, I got good news, though. You know what Christianity is about? Vowing yourself to the Son of God. Oh, when I receive Christ, I vow. Oh, say, I'm going to be like him. And I vow myself to him. And then suddenly I get into situations where there's pain. The Holy Spirit becomes the interpreter. And then, whoa, Jesus, where did you come from? Oh, you were here all along saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. The Holy Spirit wants to be our interpreter of pain. And let me say it to you this way. You say, is that really possible? It is. I want you to see it this way because the word temptation and trial and testing, they're very similar in the Greek. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man, but God is faithful who will, uh, who will not allow you to be tempted or tested or tried beyond what you are able. But with that temptation will also make the way of escape the right way to go that you may be able to bear it. You're not meant to stay wounded. You're not meant to live in unforgiveness. You're not meant to live in that kind of brokenness. Don't interpret your own pain. Say, Jesus, by the power of your spirit, interpret this pain and bring something good out of it. And what does he do? He shows you the way out. Unless you got that filter up there. Said, no thanks. I feel way too vulnerable letting Jesus be in control. After all, he let those people kill him. Let's be real. Let's look at another one. Another negative filter that we hit is patterns we follow. Patterns we follow. This is where, uh, um, in some uh, charismatic circles, you would get uh, the statement generational curse. I think a better title to that is family pattern. Just to engage the young people, uh, there is another level called peer pressure. And, And I would say that the way that this works, many people read Deuteronomy. And when they read Deuteronomy, they read it with the wrong heart. Not reading it with the proper filter. So they read Deuteronomy, which says, you shall not bow down to false gods or serve them. It says, for I, the Lord God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Uh, By the way, this is not God saying, I am going to pay your children back for your sins. That has been terribly misrepresented. That is so wrong. Jesus would never make you accountable for the sins of your grandfather or your father. He doesn't do it. He says those who are not living in relationship with him, who hate him, he goes, the same thing that actually snared their family line will snare them as well. That's what he's saying. He says, however, I'm going to visit it. Oh, this is so good. I'm going to visit and see if they are doing what their dad or mom did. And if they're not doing it, they will not be held accountable. 
And the curse will end and break. The pattern will end and break. Here's what you need to understand. Don't think because you're Irish and you say out of your mouth, you know, when I give blood, it comes out whiskey, okay, that you're doomed to a life of alcoholism. No, I'm Irish. We're all drunks. When I got born again, I got a new DNA. It didn't come from earth. It didn't come from my natural dad or my natural mom. I got born again of the Spirit of God, and I became a son of God. But hold, all things became new. But make no mistake, there are many people who have that filter that says, this is just what's been in my family, so this is what will always be. And you, you have that lie. The truth of God's word comes that says the opposite. It hits the filter, and what happens? It yields nothing. Why? Because I filtered it out. Because why? I partnered with a pattern I've watched. Young people, let me say it this way, 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good morals. Good character. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. That's why we're saying, hey, by the way, you don't give people who don't know God a position of influence in your life. I'm not saying that you're not to befriend people who don't know Christ, but boy, I tell you what, if they are your friend, they should know that you know Christ. You don't give them a position of influence. You say, oh, yeah, I can do it. Nope, that word will work. You'll follow the pattern. Now, here's what I want to tell you for those of you who wonder. Proverbs 26.2. I think every spirit-filled person should just jot this verse down in case the, the enemy ever comes along and says, hey, you're under a curse. You should write down Proverbs 26.2, which says this. Like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without a cause shall not alight. It can't land where the curse doesn't have a cause. Oh, man, I'm so glad I've read the Bible. You know why I'm getting happy? Because Galatians tells me, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And he became the curse for me and removed the curse. He received it on the cross and gave me all of the favor that belonged to him. So I'm going to tell you right now, in my life, the family pattern ended with Jesus. And you too need to say, that pattern ends with Jesus. I'm a generational curse breaker. Why? He took that, he took that curse on the cross and gave me new life. But you can partner with it if you want to. I think it's a terrible idea. It's a bad filter. Let me give you the last one. Demonic things you ignore, demons you ignore are a terrible filter. It will mess up the way you hear. You say, you think I have a demon? Probably loads of them. <laughs> now, I don't believe that any believer in Christ who is genuinely born again is possessed. Possessed denotes ownership. That changed when we placed faith in Christ. However, that does not mean that a believer cannot be demonized. 
attacked. And through an open door, welcome a demonic influence, which will, by the way, cut short the effectiveness of God's word in your life and his work in your life. You say, are you sure about that? Yes. Luke 4, 33 says, now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. Where was he? In church. Where the Torah is being read, the eternal word of God, and the man has a demon. Don't look at your neighbor. He says, let us alone. What do we need to do with you, Jesus? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, be quiet, and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Now listen, demons partner in the lives of believers with strongholds. Strongholds are not covens of demons. They are systems of thought that give the enemy access to our life. They are systems of thought. Lies, pain, uh, perhaps a family pattern. Uh, and, and then suddenly we've opened a door. By the way, don't do stupid stuff. All of the zombie stuff, stupid. Ask the woman who called me in Inverness with knives flying off of her counter. Don't open the door if you want to manage who comes through it. The Lord told me. Y'all are like, some of y'all just got upset. I'm going to have to go home and throw out some stuff. I pray you do. I pray you clean house and purge your family tree. All of you who get up in the morning and read uh Read your horoscope. Somebody walks up to me and says, hey, what's your sign? Stop sign. Cut it out. That's what you say. <laughs> I'm trying to help some people here. We got some broken filters. And we think that we can just fool around and that there's nothing to it. I promise you there is something to it. And I could, tell, I could tell you stories of stuff that happened in this building that would curl your hair. But for the sake of time, I will not. Except to say many people have opened a door and they have not pushed eject on any of these things. You say, what do I do if any of these things are in my life? Here's what you do. Repent. God, I am sorry for giving lies access. I'm sorry for giving pain access. I'm sorry for giving what, what was modeled in my life access. And I am so sorry for giving Satan access in my life through, through what I've believed about you, what I've believed about myself, what I've done. I, th those things, I, am, I repent of that. And now I renounce it. I say, I am done with those things. I am going after God. I am going to get the proper filter installed. You say, what's the right filter? It's very simple. It's so simple you're not even going to like it. It's the great commandment the right filter through which to hear properly is the great commandment Jesus was asked by a scribe a lawyer he says what is the greatest commandment what's the greatest commandment Matthew 22 and he says he says teacher what is it 
He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen to this statement. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let me say it to you in a way that we've been saying it for weeks. Every seed depends on this command. Every seed of God's word depends on this command. What? The command that I love God. I want to ask you, church, do you love God? I mean, do you love God? Is it the idea of like, oh, I can't wait to be with him. I love him. That way, when you're reading the Bible and it offends you, because if you don't read this book and have it offend you, check the filter. There's, you, you read this book, it will challenge you, it will correct you, it will rebuke you, it will train you. It'll say, you're off course, you need this. If you're, if you're not experiencing that, you, you, you check the filter. But when you love God, you're like, oh, even the passages that so challenge me, that challenge the way I feel, that challenge the way I think, that challenge the way that, that, I, that, I, that I, I work, that challenge everything, God. I love you. I love you. So I know that what you have written for me is for my good. And it all hangs. And have you let that love so penetrate who you are that it leads you to love others? That's the filter. Listen, please don't try to pick up the principles of Christianity without the prince. Because this is God saying, no, listen, this is all about intimacy. To you, it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. To you that have come close, to you that have received it, this is what it means for you. If you will just love God more than you love your job, more than you love your car, more than you love what measure of success and what, what measure of, 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 of community clout you've been able to establish, if you will love God... And this word will pass through the proper filter and produce in your life. When the seed first comes, it comes to those who don't know him. How do you love a God you don't know? You don't. But if you're on a reading plan, which all of you should be, today's first John. If I give you any commandment today, it would be this. Read the book of 1 John, and you'll find out we love him because he first loved us. We enter into this because he loved us. And this in 1 John, uh, it says in uh, verse uh, chapter 4, he says, he demonstrates his love. He showed us his love by sending his son to be a propitiation. This atoning sacrifice for sin for us. He's saying he's demonstrated that love and given it to us. So you start by realizing he loved me first. So now I love him. And if we're going to enter into the place where we soak, it'll be because 
I got the filter changed out. And that filter is loving God and as a result, loving others.